we are in Genesis 26 tonight. If we're going by the chapters in our English translations, we can now officially say we are beginning the second half of this book. Genesis has 50 chapters. I will say that I think the second half of the book is going to go significantly quicker than the first half of the book did, although I will not promise that because you just never know. Um, but that's what I think is going to happen, uh, what, I think, what I think will happen going forward, but we'll see. Anyway, Genesis 26, we come to it this morning, or no, this morning, this evening. It's definitely not morning anymore. Um, Abraham is dead, and Jacob and Esau have been born. Uh, but the patriarch in focus is forever so briefly a time in Genesis, Abraham's son Isaac. And, and Genesis 26 is almost all we get where Isaac is the, the main human character. Um, and so, since we get so little about him compared to his father and his son, particularly you know, with one son, Jacob, uh, it's good to, to have this tonight and focus on it. So, with the end of the chapter, uh, the end of chapter 25, uh, we were dealing with Jacob and Esau. At the very end of this chapter, it's going to pick right back up with Jacob and Esau. So, this is kind of an interlude, kind of a parenthesis in the text because but it's not an unimportant one because uh, in what we're about to see the overarching theme will be how while Isaac emulates his father in, in some of his faithless failures we're going to see that God is, is with him and God is blessing him as the one through whom the covenant promises go forth so we're going to divide this up into three parts tonight we're going to start with verses 1 through 11 where we see that Isaac faced his father's temptations. That Isaac faced his father's temptations. Let's read along beginning in verse 1. It says, Now there was a famine in the land <coughs> besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and will give your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he was afraid to say, My wife, thinking, The men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is beautiful. It came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, Because I said I might die on account of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. Upon us. So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So Isaac faced his father's temptations. And 
so we start from the beginning here, and the impetus for this happening comes when a, a famine comes upon the land, and it, the the text is careful to distinguish that it is a different famine than the one that Abraham experienced, uh, but it is similar because, you know, well, we'll see how it's similar in a minute, but it is interesting how God uses famines in Genesis to move his people around. We see it with Abraham. Now we see it with Isaac. We're later going to see it with Jacob. It's going to have a big thing, big role to play in the sons of Israel going into Egypt uh, and fulfilling, really, the word of God because Abraham has been told by God already in, in Genesis 15 that his people will be strangers in a strange land for 400 years. But... Uh, it is a condition. This a famine, no food. You know, uh, you know, like like a like a very severe drought, lack of food, lack of water, and he uses this to move his people. And uh, it seems to have been the first famine like this in the land in a long, long time. Uh, we're talking uh, several decades because it refers specifically to the one in the days of Abraham. But the bottom line is Isaac had never experienced anything like this famine. That famine that, that took uh, that took Abraham into Egypt is about a hundred years in the past. Okay? So um, Isaac wasn't born then. In fact, he, he was not born uh, until just after Abraham had been in this land of the Philistines that we're going to see a lot. We're going to, the parallels between Abraham and Isaac are going to be really big tonight. But he had to do something because Isaac had herds, Isaac had flocks, and if he were to not do anything, that would mean catastrophe for what he had. So he had apparently still been living by the well. If you recall, we, we talked about how he was living by the well called Be'er Laharoi, the, the God who sees. And it's the same will that God appeared to Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, at back in Genesis 16. But the famine provokes Isaac to move, and so he begins to move south. And the first place he goes is into Gerar, Gerar, the land of the Philistines. And it's where his father, again, it's where his father had journeyed just before he was born. It was a region ruled by a man called Abimelech. And when I say that, that is a title for the king of the Philistines. It's not a, a proper name like Matt or Joshua or Wade or, 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 or whatever. It's a title like Pharaoh is the king of the Egyptians. Abimelech is what they call the king of the Philistines. And one of the reasons I say that is because Abraham dealt with a man who was the king of the Philistines called Abimelech. And now many, many decades later, uh, Isaac is dealing with the same thing. So it's a different man who is the king. In fact, we'll see another example of this in a few minutes. Isaac, though, appeared to not be stopping in Gerar. Apparently, he was going to follow in his father's footsteps and go down into Egypt. And the reason I say this is because of what we see uh, beginning in verse 2 and 3. The Lord appears to him and says, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. So he stops Abraham, or, or Isaac rather. He stops Isaac from doing what his father did and going all the way down into Egypt. He says, instead, sojourn in this land, and because this is still considered the land that I've promised you. By the way, Isaac, this is still part of the promised land. So you stay in this land. You sojourn in this land, and I will bless you. I will be with you. 
For to you and your descendants I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. And those two verses are significant because as far as we know in Scripture, this is the first time that God has appeared personally to Isaac. Now, we can look back at Genesis 22. Now, Genesis 22 is that scene where Abraham is commanded by God to take Isaac, his only son, and sacrifice him at Mount Moriah. And God does appear there right before Abraham is about to carry out the sacrifice and says, don't do it. And here's a substitute ram over here. I'm providing the substitute instead. So God does appear there, but this is the first time that he, in Scripture at least, appears directly to Isaac. And, and I do believe what we're looking at here is another one of those examples of, the, of, of an appearance of Christ before his birth, the pre-incarnate Christ appearing. I, I, as I understand it, that's, that's what I think is going on here. So he appears to Isaac. Now, God does have plans for his people in Egypt. Now, we know that's coming up. We're getting into the second half of Genesis now. We're going to see that more from about verse uh, from about chapter 37 through the end of the book. But for now, he wants Isaac to stay here. Now is not the time. Uh, you know, bad things happen in Egypt. And not just what's going to happen in the future, but... But Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife. He, he said, she is my sister down in Egypt. And, and of course later, he would do the same thing Abraham did with Abimelech, with the, un, un, the, the one from decades earlier, the king of the Philistines earlier. He had done the same thing there. So instead of going to Egypt, God commands Isaac to stay put. He will be with Isaac. He will bless Isaac. So all of these... He's reiterating all of these promises he's already made, but now he's doing he's reiterating it directly to Isaac. And you know, so he's confirming everything that Isaac has heard from his father. Abraham's the one who told him, God made a covenant with me. God has promised many descendants. God has promised us a land. God has promised us blessing. But now God himself is telling Isaac, now that Abraham is gone, about all this stuff. So he's hearing it with his own ears about the covenant. And the point here for the reader and for the nation of Israel that would read this and and for us as well is the faithfulness of God. We worship a God who is absolutely, positively faithful. We worship a God when He makes a promise, when He says something. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Faithful is He who called you and He will bring it to pass. And when he says something, he will do it. When, he, when Jesus says, I'm coming again, he's coming again. When Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise, to the thief on the cross, guess where that thief is now? In paradise. When, when, when our God is faithful. So the covenant-making, promise-making God is also the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. It's very, very... If we, as Christians, can just remember that, day in, day out, hour in, hour out... It makes such an impact on our lives. It allows us that hope that we prayed about earlier. Living with that hope, that certainty about the future, that certainty about what happens next. That makes all the difference in the Christian walk when we know our God is faithful no matter what the world throws against us, whether it be a famine or rather it be unjust rulers or rather it be whatever. Okay? So... Isaac is walking into this. He's in the middle of the famine. He's in this 
enemy territory now. Uh, Philistines aren't exactly, you know, friends. Uh, that'd be a stretch. But in verse 4, the Lord reiterates to Isaac the promise of descendants. So we see that. Now I want to point out something in verse 5. We read that. The New American Standard says, well, let me back up to verse 4 for context. Um, I will multiply your descendants, give you descendants, by your descendants the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Verse 5, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. That's how the New American Standard reads verse 5. Because Abraham obeyed, kept my charge. And, all. and it makes it sound like the promises made in verses 2 through 4 are because Abraham obeyed. As if the promises of God are contingent upon our obedience. I want to to make the argument that that's not the best reflection of what's being said here. The thought is not that God decided to keep His promise because Abraham obeyed. The thought is that, like the KJV says, because that, meaning because of my promises, Abraham obeyed me. Abraham kept my commandments. Abraham kept my charge. The, the point being... Abraham obeyed God because God had promised him all these things. God didn't promise and keep these promises because Abraham obeyed. Do you understand the distinction? The promises of God here are not contingent. They don't depend upon Abraham's obedience. Abraham obeyed because God did these things. Which goes back to my point a minute ago. When we understand the faithfulness of God, it allows us to walk in obedience with confidence that he's going to take care of us. Abraham took a while to learn that, but he did learn that. And now Isaac is going to be in the process of learning that as well. Because we see that Isaac heard from the Lord, and the Lord made promises. Abraham obeyed. So verse 6, So, or because of that, Isaac dwelt, or lived in, Gerar. So in Philistine territory, under a Philistine king, on Abimelech. And again, no doubt a different man than Abraham uh, dealt with, uh, but he had no doubt heard about Abraham and probably had heard about what had happened decades ago now, at least 60 years ago now is when Abraham and the first Abimelech had crossed paths. Well, in Gerar, Isaac didn't merely face his father's temptation to run. He, he was tempted to run to Egypt. God stops him. He also faced his father's temptation to lie. Because if we recall in Genesis 20, not too long ago we looked at this, Abraham for the second time went into a place and said, she is my sister. She's not my wife, she's my sister. Um, he lied to Pharaoh and, and now Isaac was uh, doing the same thing his daddy did. Verse 7, when the men of the place asked about his wife, she, he said, she is my sister for he was afraid to say she is my wife. And, and we could say at least Sarah was Abraham's half-sister. If you recall, they had the same father but different mothers. But Rebecca was not Isaac's sister at all. Um, she was his second cousin. And even at age 60 and beyond, Rebecca was still considered to be a very beautiful woman. Um, it would seem that, you know, because lifespans were longer, the, the physical development throughout the years was a little slower. Um, but, but also, Rebecca just comes across in Scripture... From, from Genesis 24 when we were first introduced to her, really, as, as this woman who, who loves the Lord, 
who has the will of God on her mind. And that inner beauty in her heart seems to have been reflected in her outer beauty. Um, And Isaac, like his dad, fears they're going to kill him to get to her. Now, just as a quick side note, we haven't mentioned Jacob and Esau at all, at least not in the text, just as far as background, we've mentioned them tonight. They're not in this at all. Um, which which indicates they probably weren't with Isaac and Rebekah at this point. They're grown men by this point, and they probably have been left behind um, in uh, by, by the well, Bir Halaroi, uh, to, to account for the family possessions that Isaac couldn't take with him, and, and things like that, to, to survive off of the, 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 the supplies that they had while Isaac and Rebekah went and... and and stayed somewhere else. Well, that's all we know about them. I mean, that well, we don't. That's even speculation. But they're they're not mentioned in the thirty three verses we're looking at tonight. But what we do see is that one day, verse eight, Abimelech the king looks out his window and quote saw Isaac caressing his wife Rebecca. Now the the KJV translated that he was sporting with his wife Rebecca. Um, there are a couple of translations that use the word laugh here, but not to put too fine a point on it. This is talking about conjugal caresses. Okay, This is talking about, um, at the very least, fondling. The point is that he was obviously with his wife, visible to the king in a way that only a husband and wife should be together, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, and so he calls Isaac out on it because Isaac has said, she's not my wife, she's my sister. And Isaac is quick to, ad- quick to admit what he did. I mean, he has no choice, really. He has to. And Abimelech asks in protest, what is this you've done to us? I mean, why? Because if someone had lain with her, you're, that, that's going to bring back the judgment of your God. You know, he actually says, if someone had lain with his wife, their nation would, be, would have been guilty before God. So one question, one question is why does Abimelech have such a respect for Isaac's God? The answer, <clears throat> as I understand it, has to be that this king knew what happened with Isaac's daddy. That that story had probably, you know, Abraham was well known in the area. They would have remembered this man Abraham coming through their area. They would have remembered. Uh, the story about what happened when this big man, this this giant of the land, Abraham, came through their area. And so, uh, by the way, they also would have known something else that's even more important. They would have known how much God blessed Abraham. And so, assuming God was blessing the son of Abraham well, he had a respect for God, Abimelech did, even though he's not godly per se. He has a respect for for Abraham's God. So verse 11, Abimelech, he's fearful of what might happen should Isaac's God be angered. He warns all of his people, don't touch him, don't touch her. If you do, you'll die. So uh, Isaac, faced with his father's temptations, he gives in to them just like his father did, but God delivers him just like God did for his father. So we got that. Isaac faced his father's temptations. The second thing we see is that Isaac dug his father's wells. We see that 
in verses 12 through 25. Look, on, look along with me. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy, for he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham, for the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given him, given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over it too, so he named it Sitna. He moved away from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it, so he named it Rehoboth. For he said, At last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. So he stays in Gerar. He's under the protection of Abimelech, and he reaps in the same year he shows up a hundredfold. So what's obvious there is that he's very rich, he's very wealthy, he has many flocks, he has many herdsmen, a great household, it says. The Lord blessed him, and it's so obvious that the Philistines envied him. They envy him. In other words, you know, God's blessings upon Isaac are, are, are so outlandish. They are so beyond what you might even call a very bountiful year that it's so obvious that this is of God and the Philistines resent it. They are jealous, they envy it, they resent it, they are angered by it, that he is having this success in their land, that he is in their land and this is happening to him and not them. And so Abimelech says, go away from us. Um, get, get, get out of town. And so Isaac does. He, he doesn't move out of the land per se, but he, he moves a, a distance to the east, kind of out of out of the capital area, out, of, uh, out in the country of the, the land. He doesn't go to Egypt. He, he, he stays there, which, by the way, shows us that he learned from the temporary hiccup uh, about his wife and obeying God's word. He, he doesn't go into Egypt saying, well, it didn't work out for me here, I'll go to Egypt. God had said, don't do that. And so he stays where God told him to stay, in that land. And that Abimelech was so forceful in his order to Isaac indicates that Isaac's strength has probably gotten so much that if they were to take one another on, Isaac would win. And so Isaac is showing some humility here by moving away. Either way, um, Isaac goes to the east to wells 
If you recall, Abraham and the first Abimelech, Genesis 20, they quarreled over wells. And now Isaac goes and redigs some of those wells, gives them the same names that Abraham had. By the way, that emphasizes his right to those wells. They are family, they're in the family. But the rivalry between Isaac and Abimelech comes to a head when Isaac's servants find a whole lot of water. In fact, we see the words flowing water. Though The word is literally living water. I mean, this is just abundant living water. Jesus says, I am living. You know, He who drinks after me will not thirst, but live forever. It's that kind of overflow that is, that is uh, being emphasized here. And so the Philistine herdsmen, what do they do? That's ours. You're in our land. We want it. So they quarrel. The name of the, the well is called Essek, which means the well of contention. So Isaac again shows humility. He goes again, digs another, and it's also quarreled about. He names that one Sitna, which means hatred, the well of hatred. But still he shows humility. He goes again a little ways off, digs another well, and finally they leave him alone. And so he names that one Rehoboth, which means uh, ample room. So that's the well of ample room. And so Isaac left some men there at that new well he just dug. And then he went on a little further to Beersheba, we're told. And that's where, in verse 24, the Lord appeared to him the night he got there. So this is the second time that the Lord has appeared to Isaac. It's the second time in this chapter as well. I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So Beersheba, let's talk about that for a second. This happened at Beersheba. Abraham, that is where he originally made a covenant with the first Abimelech. If you go back to Genesis 20, you'll see this. That's where they quarreled over that well. Um, and they made an oath with one another. Beersheba means the well of the oath. So there, he goes there. Uh, he makes an altar. He worships God. I, Isaac had actually lived there in the past. when, After Abraham had uh, the sacrifice experience on Mount Moriah, they had lived there. So Isaac knew that area well. And so perhaps it's it's, you know... After the the not-so-great experience in Gerar, perhaps Isaac wants to go to a place where he has seen God at work, where he has uh, a place where his father had a close relationship with the Lord. Maybe he wants to have a close relationship with the Lord, especially after the situation where he lied about his wife, just like his father did. It brings to my mind, it brought to my mind some verses, James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, which say this. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. And as I understand it, that's exactly what Isaac was doing here. That, that's what the, you know, does anyone remember what Isaac's name means? Laughter. laughter. Did you catch laughter? Let your laughter turn to mourning. Um, that's what the man who's mean, whose name means laughter seems to be doing here. Giving the troubles of his recent past 
to the God of his father Abraham and entrusting that God who is the Lord, who is Yahweh, with his present and his future. God has been faithful in the past. God is keeping his promises that he made to his father and he's seen it firsthand. And so now after his failures, he's coming and he's giving it to God. And this, no doubt, this has to deal with, I mean, repentance has to accompany this. So he's cleansing his hands. He's trying to, he's purifying his heart. And it is a timely reminder to us, beloved, of our need to, when we have sinned, or just even when we are in trials, when we're in turbulence, which is almost all the time in this world, give it to the Lord and trust Him. Give it to the Lord and trust Him. Abraham went through a whole lot to learn that. And like father, like son, Isaac was learning this now too. And this was a godly man who'd learned this. A godly man who made mistakes who was learning this. Isaac loved the Lord and he was learning this still. So Isaac faced his father's temptations. Isaac dug his father's wells. Finally, the third thing, Isaac lived in his father's God's blessing. Isaac lived in his father's God's blessing. Let's finish the 26th. We won't quite finish the chapter, but 26 through 33. Then, <coughs> then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor Ahuzath and Philcol, or, or, uh, Phicol, the commander of the army. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, we see plainly that the Lord, and by the way, notice that's the word Yahweh, the, the, the covenant name of God. We have seen, plainly seen, that the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Then he made a feast, made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they arose early and exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them away, and they departed from him in peace. Now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servants came in and told him about the well which they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Now, you might notice there, I've made a point about Abimelech being a title and not a, the name of a real, an actual person. Same thing with the, the guy named Phicol here, the, the commander of the army. In Genesis 20, Abimelech and a man, a commander of the army named Phicol, come to Abraham. So Phicol appears to have been the name of the, the military leader, you know, like a, a title, like general. Okay, So... They come, uh, along with an advisor named Ahuzath. If you ever want to name your child Ahuzath, I might cause some problems later on. But uh, They go to Isaac, and uh, Isaac is understandably skeptical. I mean, you hate me. Why are you coming here? You sent me away. Well, as these quarrels had been going on, notice that the quarrels were with the herdsmen. And Abimelech is, is back in Gerar in the city, and he's probably hearing about this and watching this from a, a distance, a little bit of a distance. 
And everything he sees, everything he observes, everything he hears tells him one thing, that Isaac is winning. And so just as the prior Abimelech had come to Abraham in a similar situation, seeking peace, like a non-aggression pact, this is what the this is he this is what he does. He goes to Isaac at the end, and the end of verse twenty nine is the important part here. When Abimelech reveals the reason he's coming to Isaac, you are now the blessed of the Lord, and that's really what the big picture of twenty of chapter twenty six is about. You are now the blessed of the Lord. It's showing God who made a covenant with Abraham. Promises. He's keeping his promise. He's fulfilling his word. Isaac is being blessed. Isaac is the blessed. And I want to stress the definite article. Grammar is inspired by scripture. The. He's the blessed. He's the one. He's the one who's especially blessed. And it's showing us that even a pagan king like Abimelech recognized the uniqueness of the blessing that was upon Isaac and thus the uniqueness of Isaac's God compared with all the other gods that all of us are around here worshiping. His God's different. The blessing upon him is different. He's the blessed. Because they'd heard about Abraham, they'd heard about him being blessed, and now the same thing seems to be happening with his son. So God, what's God doing here? He's glorifying himself through his faithfulness to Abraham through Isaac. Remember, I've been saying it since we were in Genesis 12, how the rest of Genesis on through Revelation is about the fulfilling of the Abrahamic covenant. And that's why we spent such a long time talking about the life of Abraham, to stress that, because now we're seeing it, and Abraham's been dead for a little while now. But yet, God's faithfulness to him and the carrying out of that promise is what carries on the rest of Scripture. And in fact, we're still waiting for the ultimate fulfillment of that through Jesus Christ when he comes again. And that blessing is made full and final and eternal for us all. Um, And just to top it off here as we close, get toward the close actually, uh, Once Abimelech and company leave, Isaac's servants come in. On the same day, same day, we have found water. Another well flowing with water. It's illustrative of the blessing God has given to Isaac. So he calls it Sheba, the the well of the oath, the, the name of the city, Beersheba to this day. Moses writes, therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Because there was a Beersheba in Moses' day, and guess what? There's a Beersheba today, too. In 2016 AD, there's a Beersheba today. It's, by population, it's the eighth largest city in Israel today. And, and it's still called Beersheba. And what does that tell us? It means, it tells us the very name of that city today is a testimony to the truthfulness of God's word. That throughout the centuries, it still means the well of the oath. So when you say Beersheba today, you're talking about the history of that city. It takes you back to Genesis. It takes you back to Genesis 20. It takes you back to this. And, and so the big takeaway from these first 33 verses, we'll deal with the second, the last two verses next week, is God's faithfulness. It's the continuation of the covenant. 
And from a practical standpoint, you and me tonight, what does it say to us? What, what do we learn? Well, like Isaac, we need to come humbly to Him. We need to give our, our cares to Him. We need to give our failures to Him. We need to give our, our successes to Him. We need to give our, our troubles to Him. We need to give our trials and our tribulations to Him. We need to give it all of our lives to Him. We need to trust in Him. We need to draw near to God and He will draw near to us. We need to, to cleanse ourselves. We need to purify our hearts. And if we are in Christ, if we are Christians, we are the blessed. That's what First Peter tells us. That we are the blessed. Through Jesus Christ. So we should remember the words of the Lord. And I believe Isaac, you know, he sees a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ here. We should remember the words of the Lord. From back in uh, verse 24. Do not fear, for I am with you. What a way to live. What a way to live. If we could live like that, what a way to live. Do not fear, for I am with you. Again, next week, God willing, we'll finish 26 and we'll deal probably with most, if not all, of chapter 27. Um, but for now, let's close in prayer. Father, um, may we, like Isaac, learn humility and faithfulness. Even tonight, Lord, I am convicted of ways in which I fail to give things to you. My successes, my failures, my trials, my tribulations. And Lord, we can all, every one of us, young and old, will deal with this. And, and, and probably are dealing with this, Father. But, but I pray, Father, that we might live with a Christ-like fearlessness. Knowing that if we trust in your Son, you are with us, even indwelling us through your Holy Spirit. So I pray that you might cause us to remember the truthfulness of your word. Cause us to remember your word, period. Cause us, Father, to recall in times of trouble your faithfulness to your own. Even if it's just recalling Isaac and, and this, this biblical account where you, your faithfulness just overflows this chapter. In spite of Isaac's failure, your faithfulness is, is what's to be celebrated here. And Help us to recall that when we are faced with temptation, when we face conflicts, when we face our own sinful tendencies. May we live lives glorifying you as a result. We ask this, Father, in the name of the one through whom we are the blessed. The one Abraham pointed to, the one Isaac points to, Jesus Christ. Amen.